That's right. That's right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a Senior Director of Valuation Services at CFGI. And this is the program where we dig a little bit deeper to understand what really matters most in business. So charitable contributions, charitable donations are things that people regularly think about and know something about. Today we're taking that to a little different level. We're going to be talking about something that's called strategic philanthropy. And today I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Dan Greenspawn, who is a Vice President at REN PSG. Dan, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Awesome. We're thrilled to have you. So I always ask my guests at the beginning of the program to tell us in the audience a little bit about themselves and their firm. Sure. So Dan Greenspawn, I'm a Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy designation through the American College. Been practicing uh, strategic philanthropy for over 12 years. Currently work with REN PSG, Renaissance Philanthropic Services Group. It's a 32-year-old gift administration platform that serves both institutional clients in developing planned giving platforms or branded donor advised funds, and then also end individual clients um, in helping them structure and plan their philanthropy. So let's get a couple of definitional things out of the way so folks can put everything that follows into context. So sure. what is philanthropy? How do you describe it? Right, so, so charitable giving and philanthropy is at the hallmark or the fabric of American culture. It's giving back to communities and nonprofits you care about. And part of my role is helping clients think about that in a more strategic and structured way. So what is a strategic philanthropy then? Sure. How, how do you think about philanthropy from a strategic perspective? So um, when sitting down with clients, I usually think about kind of the above the line and below the line conversations. And what do I mean about, what do I mean when I yeah. say that? So above the line, really the softer side of philanthropy. What's the purpose of your wealth? What are the values? This is usually how we start the conversation and really digging in on what are the goals of the family beyond just gaining wealth, right? What's the purpose? What's their culture? How do they teach the next generation about what matters most uh, to that family? And then below the line is more the technical, the practical, working with other allied professional advisors and developing a strategy and a structure to maximize or unlock more capital for, the, for their philanthropy portfolio. Um, this could include uh, looking at strategic ways and different structures, what's the right time, what's the right asset, and then ultimately maybe what's the right vehicle for their philanthropy. Let's drill into that, but first, again, to level set, when we think about philanthropy, a term high net worth individual is something mm -hmm. that people usually think about. Is it fair to say that philanthropy really is only for high net worth individuals? No, um, and really, you know, we've taken steps in the philanthropic space to really democratize philanthropy, both at the institutional level, which is what PSG does, but also at the end individual level. Um, and really with the growth of the donor advised fund marketplace, it's really democratized philanthropy for lower and middle income donors. So what does somebody who's watching and is contemplating philanthropy need to know to get things started? Where, where, where does one begin? So I think one starts by first sitting down and developing that mission statement mm -hmm. and understanding what their values are and what types of charities they want to support. Maybe start by volunteering at a few different nonprofits, serving on a board, really getting to understand what your purpose is in terms of giving back to the community. And then secondly, start to think about how do we fund that philanthropy? How do we fund it by not just giving your time, um, but also giving your capital? Okay, 
And when one thinks of philanthropy and charity, there's ultimately a charity on the other end of the gift, right? Of course, of course. So does someone who's developing a strategic plan have the ability to earmark uh, charities that are of particular interest to them? Definitely. Um, and most of the tools we use um, at REN PSG is all donor-centric. So when we're sitting down with clients and developing that strategy, it's about their purpose and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and then we help figure out what that plan is, looks like from a funding perspective, from how they invest those dollars, maybe with a double bottom line, both socially and also for returns. And then ultimately that impact that they make through grant making. Yeah, so when you mentioned democratizing philanthropy, can you explain that just a little bit further? Is there a threshold at which point it makes, we'll call it strategic sense to, to work with you? Yeah, so I think um, a lot has changed with the tax code. Um, I, would, I would say the, the, the important thing to remember is that the standard deduction doubled. And so more donors, more middle income donors have to think about what am I gaining in terms of value in making a charitable gift? And for donors that are only giving $25, $50, maybe just writing checks out to their favorite charities, that might be really tax inefficient. And so usually we're looking at around that five, 10, 15, maybe $25,000 number where it starts to really make sense for them to kind of structure their philanthropy in a more appropriate way to take advantage of those tax benefits and maybe itemize in a year um, to maximize that tax benefit for their yeah. charitable gift. And that sounds like it's one of the components of the strategic philanthropy. And I don't want to reveal all of your trade secrets here. That's what people will come to talk to you about at some point. But uh, is there anything you could share with the, the audience right now just to kind of whet our appetites about what a strategic plan might consist of? What are the things people should be thinking about? Sure. So first, I think it's really building your philanthropy table and the professionals around it. And so making sure that you have um, working with your financial advisor, um, working with your attorney, working with your accountant, and sitting down potentially with a true philanthropic consultant like someone like myself um, to start to design that plan. Uh, did that answer your question? A little bit, but if people want to know more and take a deeper dive, how can they contact you? Yeah, so they can reach um, my firm, Ren PSG, at www.reninc.com and they can personally reach out to me at greenspond at reninc.com and my telephone number is 317-313-6255. Great, thank you. Are there specific types of assets that make sense for a strategic philanthropy as opposed to others? Definitely, so cash is not king. Say that again. Cash is not king. We've all been trained that cash is king. What, what, are, you, what are you talking <laughs> about, Dan? Especially in the, the valuation world, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, when funding your philanthropy, our goal is really to unlock more capital for the sector. And by looking at the client's portfolio, um, we try and find that lowest basis asset. And that, you know, for maybe the more everyday donor might just be your more vanilla stocks, bonds, mutual funds but also to explore other outside assets. That could be privately held business interests, limited partnerships, LLC units. Really could look at the private company stock, real estate, life insurance, artwork. There's a number of assets that you could explore to fund your philanthropy. Why does the lowest basis asset matter? So for generally speaking, um, 
different types of tools provide different deduction limits. And privately held stock, for example, to a donor advised fund is a fair market value deduction versus to a private foundation would be a cost basis deduction. And so as we're developing that kind of strategic plan and looking at when's the right time, what's the right asset, and what's the right vehicle, we're kind of trying to figure out what that asset is that's gonna unlock the most capital and provide you with that fair market value deduction. When you gift those appreciated assets, again, could be securities, privately held stock, it's a win-win tax situation. You're forgoing the capital gains that you would otherwise have to pay on the liquidation of that property and also receiving a fair market value deduction when gifting that and reducing your adjusted gross income. Interesting. So when you're working with a business owner, for example, and we're talking about the gift of shares in a privately held business, is it mm -hmm. what is there a typical percentage that they're thinking about? Because this could be a potential way of exiting, but not really. Can you explain yeah, so that? So it's a gift to charity. Um, generally, we're not seeing the whole 100% of the company. Um, in some rare circumstances, we have seen that. Um, usually, it might be only 1%, 5%, 10% of the business interest. You know, our goal is to capture clients in their income earning years. Give while living so that you're capturing that income tax deduction, but also removing those dollars out of your state. Again, a win-win tax benefit. And so we're generally looking at clients that are maybe five years out from retirement or looking at that windfall event when they're selling their business um, as, a, as a good time frame to think about pre-funding your giving during those high income earning years and then smoothing out your grant making into retirement or into your golden, golden years, so to speak. Sounds good. On that note, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we're gonna pause for a quick commercial break, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. Add us on social media to watch bloopers, behind the scenes footage, previews, and more. platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. 
we guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Today my guest is Dan Greenspawn, who's a vice president at REN PSG, and we're talking about strategic philanthropy. So Dan, before the break, you mentioned something that was a little intriguing about building a philanthropic table. Yes. And I know you're not talking about furniture. <laughs> Can you explain what that is? Sure, I think it's um, the next step families take when they move from success to significance and really understanding that they have their investment table, maybe they have their estate planning table, maybe they have their, their business table and their business meetings, but carving out a separate space that makes the family feel very comfortable um, about discussing their values, their culture, and what they want to establish as a long-term philanthropic mission. So when a client's working with you, what's that experience like? How, how, what are the interactions? Great question. So really we focus our, our, our market in two places. One on the institutional side, working with both big financial services firms and nonprofits in order to develop and create an administration platform. And this is, allows them to offer and have all those charitable tools on their tool belt. And we do that through our branded technology platform or donor portal that allows them to access that information, make grants online, make contributions online. So our goal is simple, simple, simple. Make it easy mm. for donors to give. Um, and so those institutions have the ability now and have kind of those products, so to set, set speak, private foundations, donor advised funds, charitable remainder trusts, charitable lead trusts, pooled income funds, charitable gift annuities, the list goes on in terms of the charitable tools that you have available to use as part of your kind of philanthropic plan. We administer all of those tools, do all the tax accounting work in order to successfully offer those to donors and do the ongoing administration to manage those tools. Interesting. How can people contact you if they want to learn more? Great. So you can always visit Renaissance's website at reninc.com. Again, that's www reninc.com and then personally they can reach out to me at greenspond at reninc.com and then lastly my telephone number is 317-313-6255 thank you so when you're working with other advisors i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here but it, it my sense is that you're such a specialized segment of this niche are estate planning attorneys typically well versed in these types of philanthropic matters they are, they're aware of them. Um, it really gets technical though when you start working with some more of these illiquid complex assets, these unique strategies. 
that we have seen and have experienced from planners all over the country. We have donors in all 50 states and we work with professional advisors in all 50 states. And so I think it's important that um, your listeners understand we're the most advisor friendly, in my eyes, charitable administration company. And that we meet those advisors where they are, we help them kind of custody the assets, provide that investment and management experience to their clients and give great visibility and view into that investment portfolio. So we talked about illiquid assets in the context of a privately held business. Mm -hmm. What other types of assets fall into those types of categories, whether it's a complex asset or illiquid? What are the things you're seeing? Sure, so a couple things I've worked on during my uh, more than a decade in the, in the donor advised fund space. Um, I helped an Iowa farmer give 10,000 bushels of soybeans wow. that okay. we, we put on a barge and floated down the Mississippi River. And Not sold. something you would think about. No, so at physical soybeans. Um, and you know, we act almost as a liquidator, right? We accept that gift, we receipt the actual physical donation of those soybeans, um, and then we liquidate them and turn them into cash. Um, and then that cash can be used to kind of grant away over a longer period of time. So they get that immediate tax deduction up front and then kind of spread that grant making over time. Another, um, uh, another gift I worked on was 16th century Wang Wali furniture, hmm. a table and two chairs worth uh, roughly about a half million in assets, uh, half million in dollars. Yeah. Um, That's a philanthropic table. That was a philanthropic table. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. No, that I couldn't help right. myself. Coming full circle, um, you know. And then we we do a lot of real estate. I mean, it can be a vacant piece of property. It can be a residential property. It could be a commercial industrial property. So we do see a lot of real estate gifts. Again, to a donor advised fund or maybe a charitable remainder trust, fair market value deduction. You don't see those gifts moves into private foundation as much because it's a cost basis deduction. And so those are some of the little um, kind of niches in the business that we kind of help educate estate planners on or other advisors on to consider. There's excess business holding. There's there's a lot of different legalities behind these gifts that we have to be out in front of. Interesting. Now I fully expected you were going to say things like artwork or collectible cars. And now I'm wondering, are those kinds of such prized possessions that they go more to family members as opposed to philanthropic endeavors? Good question. Uh, yes, and I think this generation and we're at this biggest transfer of wealth in the history of the world yeah. um, that we're experiencing. And so, uh, you know, a trend is I think we'll see philanthropy grow and more families think about how they can give back and, and really what's that purpose of their wealth as we've talked about. But I think, you know, there are other assets that family members realize the next generation just doesn't want. They're not as interested in that Picasso hanging on the wall. Yeah. They're not as interested in the car collection. They like motorcycles, right? I, you know, so it is really digging into that philanthropic table and understanding the likes, dislikes, what's important to each family member and what they do want to hold on to so that we can kind of shape what that right asset is. Do you find it's challenging to get consensus among the family in terms of those priorities? It is. It is. And I, I, families are more dispersed than ever. They're all over the country. Our, our firm is national in scope, so we do try to bring those families together, both through technology and through family meetings and in working with their other professionals. 
um, it is hard. It is hard. So for the folks who are watching, and maybe they don't really understand and hadn't been aware of this topic previously, what, what do they need to know that we haven't talked about yet, Dan? Sure. I think the important piece is income tax planning has become more and more important. With the doubling of kind of the estate exemption, estate planning, and, and kind of that next generational planning is less so important. And that the trend is, is helping individuals unlock more philanthropic capital by doing that income tax planning. Take advantage of that income tax benefit. Structure your giving. Most donors give cash. Most fundraisers still ask, can you write us a check? And just driving home that cash is not king in the philanthropy world is hugely important. Um, a little maybe plug for our, for our firm and for myself is, you know, we sit down with advisors day in and day out, free of charge, free consultations. We do case design, illustrations. We can really help you educate not only yourself but your end clients on how to think about philanthropy and how to structure it in a meaningful way. Yeah, that sounds like it's a very worthwhile conversation. So we only have a couple of minutes left in the program here and you start to allude a little bit to trends in philanthropy. What are some of the other things you see on the horizon in your industry? Yeah, so I think we'll continue to see um, donor advised funds continue to grow. Uh, more and more financial services firms are offering the product. More nonprofits are getting into the game. Can you explain a donor advised fund very sure. quickly? So think of a donor advised fund like a charitable savings account. You get the immediate tax deduction when funding your, your donor advised fund or your charitable savings account. And then those assets grow tax free, allowing you to give more away over a longer period of time. You don't receive any future tax deductions or tax benefit when making grants out to your favorite charities, but you have the benefit to think about it, take time, volunteer, figure out which are the right organizations, and again, capturing that income tax deduction back when you needed it in your income earning years or when you had that spike in liquidity. So it's a very simple tool. It's mostly all online, can be set up with no costs. There's no ongoing annual tax filing or minutes that you have to take at board meetings. It's really like a simple charitable online savings account. Gotcha. And so the, we had 60% growth in 2017 in the number of accounts created in the industry as whole. Um, there's now over 110 billion in donor advised funds. To give you a little bit behind the numbers and some statistics here. Nice. Um, there was 410 billion given away in 2017 in total uh, to philanthropy. 70% of that, or roughly 290 billion, was gi given by individuals. 30 billion of that, close to 30 billion of that, was given to donor advised funds. So now 10%, if you're following all those numbers, 10% of the total 290 billion given away by individuals every year is flowing into donor advised funds. 10 years ago, that maybe only was one, 2%. Hmm. And so I think we'll see that trend, that number 10% continue to climb, continue to grow, um, where it's a larger piece of the overall pie on how individuals give 
that initial funding event of their philanthropy. Lots of great information that you've shared here today with our audience. Unfortunately, we're out of time. It goes fast here and behind the numbers. I want to thank my guest, Dan Greenspan, for joining us today, Thanks, talking strategic philanthropy. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. <laughs>